Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Welcome back to the Anime World Order Podcast. This is show number 179. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this show, which based on some of the emails that we get, people don't know our names. So just to reiterate, if you can't tell what this podcast is about from the title, we review Japanese animation, Japanese comics every now and again, and we've been at it for a while because, yes, it's show number 179, but... We've been doing this since 2005. And so if you go to our website, www.animeworldorder.com, there is a review index of all the shows that we've talked about to date, as well as archives of all the previous episodes. And we've been around long enough that at the end of the 2000s, we did a decade in review covering the anime that came out from 2000 to 2009. And it's been another decade. And so we're going to get started off this episode with the 2010s decade interview introductions are in order. My name is Daryl Surratt and with me as always, this is Gerald and this is Clarissa. We were talking about this in the 2000s, that there was just too many damn cartoons coming out for us to cover all these things. Well, it's only accelerated and gotten even more so. (laughs) So we are guaranteed To not mention something that is of note to yourself, we would like to hear from you. Our email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. Or if you go to that website, once again, www.animeworldorder.com, you can go ahead and leave us a comment there. We're also on social media. You can catch us on Twitter at animeworldorder. And if you go to the website, you've got all our links to our various social media type endeavors there. I do regret to inform the two of you, however, that at the end of the previous episode, I said I would increase the Patreon goal to something much unattainable that we would not have to make good on the promise to talk about Gundam Narrative for a very long time. In the time since that episode and this episode, we are now one third of the way to that. Oh boy. That happening. <laughs> I think it's again, just a initial wave of people out to, to prank us. There's no way that we're going to double the size of this Patreon in a short length of time. I think it's just one off thing. Well, now you've jinxed it. Look, you know, this, are you accusing <laughs> me of using reverse psychology to get people to sign up for this Patreon that gives zero <laughs> rewards or benefits uh, at all other than occasionally saying some names at the end of the show? <laughs> When we remember to do so. Why can't we be like that one podcast that was the Mueller Report? Yeah, the Robert Mueller Report that has since come out. And it gets like, at minimum, if you assume that all their supporters gave the minimum tier, they make some gigantic sum of money for basically fan fiction at this point because that report exists. And yet the show continues. (laughs) I, I guess people want to live the fanfic. Well, by gigantic amounts of money, you're talking... Tens of thousands of dollars. That's gigantic. That's a grift, though. That's a total grift money. And that is, <laughs> in terms of grifts, yeah, there's bigger grifts. I mean, at the very least, if you give us the money, we'll review some cartoons, I suppose. 
on that note, I would like to read an email from one of our listeners here before we get started. This one is from Scott. He just wrote this in like yesterday, and it is prescient to the topics that were recently discussed because here's what Scott writes. Hi, Anime World Order. I'm super excited to see you guys review Macross 2 recently. Just like Gerald, spelling? Question mark. Let me stop right here. You should be able to know how our names are spelled if you have the podcast episode downloaded, right? Like there's MP3 ID3 tags with our names in it. And surely if you go to the website, our names are spelled there. But anyway, I guess there's still confusion over how our names are spelled. Yes. Hmm. Just like Gerald, Robotech was my gateway anime. But since then, I've become a huge fan of the actual Macross series. I have watched every movie and TV show about Macross. However, there is one exception to that. Macross 7. Over the last 15 years, I have tried to watch that series time and time again without success. Every time I start, I get about 10 episodes in and just cannot take it anymore. I was amazed to hear that you guys thought Macross Zero was the worst Macross thing ever made. At least the animation quality in Macross Zero was nice. Even the story made zero sense at all, pun intended. Google searches and reading forums have shown me that Macross 7 seems to now have a sizable fan base and seems pretty polarizing. Now, I honestly can't say right I understand. <laughs> uh, maybe it means with relative to like American fans, but I, I honestly oh. can't say I understand what the appeal is. The show's animation is terrible, considering what its peers were doing, for example, even Gundam Wing. You have to listen to that song Planet Dance, which seems like 40 goddamn times in the first 10 episodes. And then there's the plot. Let's be honest, the entire plot is batshit bonkers by anyone's standard. So I'd love to hear your opinions on Macross 7. Doesn't need to be a full-on review, but perhaps you could just give me some input as to where that show stands on your guys' lists. I know for me, it's definitely the worst of all the Macross content, even though it seems to hold a place of honor in the Macross canon and seems to find its way into references in all related Macross series since. I just can't get into it no matter what I do or how many times I try. Sincerely, Scott. Interesting that he brought that up, just because after that review I did, several people came to me and asked me about Macross 7. And the reason I didn't talk a lot about Macross 7 was... I tried to watch Macross 7 some years ago and dropped it. I didn't like it at all. But I don't like to comment and say that that's the worst Macross ever because I only watched about like eight episodes. Mm. And I don't think it's fair to judge, you know, it's ridiculously long. It's 50 episodes. And I don't like to judge it based on that. But yeah, I didn't like it at all. Um, but I also didn't watch enough of it to have a very strong opinion. Other than not liking it at all after watching about 25%, 20% of it. But yeah, I mean, I know what you're yeah, saying. I didn't, yeah. Like, it's one of those things where if you talk to the diehard Macross fans, they will point out that if you go purely by volume, Macross 7 alone accounts for 50%, if not more than 50% of all the Macross anime ever made. And so they'll fire back to say, hey, if you don't like Macross 7, do you really like Macross? And I don't know, man. It's just like, it's one of those things where it came out in the mid nineties, roughly like a short window of time between that and Macross plus and Macross plus spoke much more to me. And Macross right. seven is a very, very drastic tonal shift from Macross plus yeah. to say it mildly. 
came out in 1994. And so, you know, that was sort of the time when things were starting to get shaken up as far as, you know, some of these long running anime franchises. I mean, you know, he talked about Gundam. Mm -hmm. Gundam Wing was a little after. You got to remember, Macross 7's contemporary was G Gundam. Right, G Gundam was was very new, and that was the first like AU, the first alternate universe Gundam, and it was very, very different from all the Gundam anime that came before it. Was extremely polarizing at the time, and then over. I would the say years, G Gundam's still different than most of yeah, the rest of the Gundam franchise. Different from everything before, different from everything since. Yeah. That was one of those things where over time, once 15, 20 years or something passed, a lot of people started to say, you know what? They were vocal in their love for G Gundam when once upon a time, that was like an anathema of a series. And so Macross 7, when that came out, a lot of people were like, this is just so different because we sort of alluded to it in the Macross 2 review, but it is a thing where... Instead of music being metaphorically a weapon for winning a war against enemy force without culture, it's now a literal weapon where there's song energy and the main character, he doesn't have a plane that fires weapons. He has a plane that fires speakers that embed (laughs) themselves into the enemy craft. And then he plays his guitar, which also pilots the plane and then makes them it sounds really awesome when you describe it no it doesn't it doesn't because that show the way you describe it makes reminds me of a show that i hated when i was a kid called silverhawks how dare you so silverhawks <laughs> was a show that i liked quite a bit as a kid that's one of those things where it's like if you go <laughs> no, back to it if you go back to it, silverhawks looked really good and it had some cool moments but it's one of those things where much like the original thundercats because the exact same production people who made both if you go back and watch the original thundercats it's bad there was a guy in silverhawk some cowboy guy who used to like pilot his plane by guitar i was not a fan of that show but yeah it's a really really like goofy concept now my memory of silverhawks without googling was that bluegrass the cowboy did not pilot his craft using his guitar. He just happened to also have a guitar that he'd use. And when he'd play the guitar, (laughs) it would fire lasers that were shaped like musical notes, which has a greater offensive capability than Neki Basara and Macross (laughs) seven. And then you have to remember that bluegrass had an evil nemesis named Melodia who had a keytar that fired evil red musical notes that were laser beams. (laughs) And so they'd have music battles that were like actual things. So it's like, Maybe the guitar was also a piloting aid. It probably served multiple purposes, but at least there was an offensive capability to it. Basara in Macross 7 is a guy in a band who has a plane. Much like how in Macross 2, you have a freelance reporter who has a plane. And so, you know, he just decides like, yeah, I'm going to go out into the battlefield and make everyone listen to my song. But it's an issue where you got all these episodes and you have to hear one song over and over and over again. And maybe they don't quite fully have the animation chops to render the playing of these instruments quite perfectly. I mean, it's still better than like, say, Backmon's going well, Chop Squad to or be fair, Black Heaven. Having to listen to one song over and over again and questionable animation, that's the original Macross also. <laughs> that is the original Macross yeah. also. But, so that's yeah. the real Macross experience, you could say. <laughs> you could say that, certainly. And so, I mean, my withholding about Macross 7 at the time was that I didn't think it looked cool enough. Like, I thought, like, they spent mm. all their money on the music, on that Firebomber soundtrack, rather than the animation. There, Because, you know, there was a lot of just 
small instances. Like the original Macross, it's mostly just the bad instances that stand out because the rest of the show, generally speaking, looks pretty damn good. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas Macross 7, it's the other way around. Most of the show just looks kind of servicemanly and workmanlike, and there's a couple Mm -hmm. of notably well-animated cuts. And it just goes on forever. So, I mean, that's one of those things where Macro 7, I think people generally like it way more now. Also, I think, that, and again, um, this is just my opinion as well, but I wasn't as into the music style that they went with for that show, which was a heavy sort of rock thing. While that was a show that was sort of almost contemporary with Macross Plus, and Macross Plus for me, that might be the greatest. Like sound. the soundtrack to that right. is one of the greatest ones ever. They had Yoko Kano on the soundtrack of that, and it's a very diverse, eclectic musical selection yes. that she's got. Because right afterwards, they went and made Cowboy Bebop, which also had like a very mm-hmm. eclectic, mm-hmm. you know, sort of musical background. Whereas Macross Seven is kind of all along a very similar line of things. Because you know, you've got Fukuyama. Yeah doing that soundtrack. And to be honest, I knew him more for Jam Project than I do for Firebomber. Certainly every time he shows up at the Jam Project concert, everyone is shouting Firebomber at him. And so he's still remembered for it. They just had a big concert for that. Like as we record, like in the last week, they had a huge Firebomber concert. It's interesting to talk about Macross Plus because while I also really like it a lot, we rewatched it recently. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was struck by is that while I do like it, it's very different from most of the rest of the franchise in sure. a lot of well, ways. And you got to remember, most of that rest of the franchise came out after. Right, right. And so I don't really like, as much as I like Macross Plus, I didn't usually use it as like a measure against other things because it's so different. It's like saying Gundam 0080 is like your Gundam well, show, mm. right? Because it's so different well, from the rest of everything that got made. Totally. Well, when it actually comes down to it, with the amount of Macross that is out there, and what Shoji Kawamori has said is that he wants every Macross to be different. Like, right. And when you think about it, if your standard Macross is the original series, there's very little like that. Because Macross, do you remember Love? It's got the same characters, but a much sharper tone and very different look to it. Mm. Macross 2, very different. Macross Plus, complete. Like, that could be a whole... That might not even be called Macross. Sure. At some, They'd almost say, like, there isn't really any standard Macross other than there's idols and transforming mm. planes. Yeah, I guess that's fair. In the case of Macross 7, it's not even really a story about idols, because Firebomber, just to clarify for people who don't know, Firebomber is the fictional band in the show Macross 7. And, and yeah. so Firebomber is, you know, you got the main character, who's the vocalist and the lead guitar, and then the bass player, who's the jailbait, pink-haired girl, and then you got the cool Zentradi muscular lady who's on the drums and almost never speaks, and then you got the the big black guy on the guitar, which the guitar is the most important musical contribution you can have other than tambourine <laughs> and cowbell. Yes. <laughs> you know, so those are really like what it's about. I wish it had a ship that had a cowbell on it that just banged a cowbell. Right. But. Like I think most of the drama <laughs> Macro 7, most of the plotting is m- primarily about like this band and their band drama and trying to mm. make it. And also the fact that they got the one side character who's, you know, your Takahiro Kayasu early career, like serious stuffy half centrati all business guy who's not having it with wild child Basara's silly antics. And, that's really what most of the show's about and not really about like, you know, thematically some of the things I was sort of after macros for. So it's a very difficult thing for me to get into. Mm. And there's so much of it. Like I'm looking it up now. So there's 
49 episodes of the main TV show, then three episodes Mm. that were released straight to video that they call the encore. And then they made like a very short compilation, like almost like a music video sort of thing. It was 30 minutes that we, you know, we'll call that another episode. Then they had Macross Dynamite 7, which was like four OAVs, which is like, you know, some extra little bonus sort of things years later to commemorate the release of the Blu-ray set. And I mentioned this in last episode, they made a 90 minute compilation movie of Macross seven as well. That was basically the cast of Macross frontier, find some old VHS tapes and watches them. Some Macross seven go buy Blu-rays of Macross seven, everybody. So it's a huge, huge amount of stuff to watch that I guess if you like it, you'll be really on board with it. And I feel that if you really like Macross seven, you might be more inclined to really like Macross Delta. That's another one that I didn't really get through just because I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Delta didn't click with me. Yeah. And so I I feel the similarly about Delta the way I do about seven. Like, yes, I understand that it's a different style and everything's a different style, but it's just, there's something about this that doesn't seem to immediately grab me. And I think part of it is could just be like, there seems to be a little less focus on the sci-fi battle portion of the formula and more focus on the music production and being in a band sort of aspect. Whereas in the original Macross and Macross Plus, and even to some extent Macross Frontier, the being in a band or, you know, becoming a singer portion of it was more of a B plot that ended up becoming intertwined with the A plot, as opposed to this is the main story of Mm. the trials and tribulations of becoming a singer. What I seem to find is the people who are only watching Macross, they really love them some Macross 7. And Mm -hmm. the people who only watch like sci-fi robot type stuff primarily tend to also get behind Macross 7. But the people who kind of watch like all sorts of anime, Macross 7, like it's kind of a hard thing to place for them. And that, that may be an overgeneralization on my part, but to me, I like... It never came out here in any legal way, so you had to get it through Fansub. In the VHS days, you know, getting a 50-episode show four episodes at a time was unwieldy, let's say. Only a few people really stuck with the show because, again, it was a very divisive thing when it first came out, more so than it is now, I would say. I only knew, like, one or two people who were, like, diehard, like, yes, I'm the Macross 7 person and i'm gonna name myself after a character in macross 7 as my online you know username sort of thing Mm. and everyone else is like yeah screw this show because they'd watch two tapes first four episodes second four episodes i got eight episodes in i dropped it Mm. probably what gerald said i watched about 10 episodes eight or less episodes and i was just like yeah and scott wrote you watched about 10 and the reason you watched about 10 is because nowadays you can get your blu-ray fan sub rips of macross 7 from torrent site or whatever you know people still use torrents for and watch things that way but yeah, I always keep saying like, yeah, I'll give it its shot just because I see like, oh yeah, you know, the Macross podcast, they call themselves speaker pod. And the reason they call themselves speaker pod is because speaker pods are the things that Bossera fires from his plane, literal pods that are speakers that embed into the enemy craft. And then he plays the music and they orgasm or whatever, because his rock is so great. <laughs> As I check, I've got a big downloaded folder called Macross 7, Blu-ray rip 10-bit, 1080p, with all the like little silly yeah. things, and I, my watch portion of it is like a tiny dent to the point that I'd have to actually go back and start it again. I think if you are on board with like the really ridiculously like goofy premise 
of the show, then I think you're home free with Macross 7. I think I am mm. on board with the ridiculously goofy premise. I think I just wish that it were like a little more flashy. I couldn't. It was too goofy and silly for me. Like I just was. I think I just wanted more Macross Plus. Which is interesting because I'm thinking of some of the other stuff that I know you like, which is also completely ridiculous. Right. But it's usually not Macross. It needs mm. to look cool doing it. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I think it, it doesn't quite look cool enough. It looks solid. Don't get me wrong. Especially the Blu-ray treatment. Like, it looks really good. But yeah, I mean. So what makes you still then, like, place it above Macross Zero? So what makes me place it above Macross Zero, personally, is that Macross Zero makes me actively annoyed. That, yeah. it, like, is attempting <laughs> yeah. to recontextualize. Yeah. That's how I feel. It, it's yeah. a, it, it, like, it no, doesn't just exist on its own. It actually, through its existence, recontextualizes the other Macross thing that you saw, the original series. So it seems like they're trying to shoehorn in some weird retconny stuff or, like, change, like, some character motivations or backgrounds and, like... I was so upset because Roy Foker was in that. Like, one of my favorite characters in anime, and I think he was so, like, poorly used, <laughs> so unlikable. It's one of those things where it's like, do you love this character? Well, here he is as a kid, and his friend dies, and he's sad, or something like that, like the George <laughs> Lucas <laughs> routine. And, and that's sort of the thing where, like, some stories, like, you don't get a greater appreciation or understanding if you know what happened prior to that. Like, I don't need to see, here's Han Solo. How did he get his name Solo? Oh, it's the worst possible thing ever. Yeah, that doesn't really help me. And the addition of, like, the weird mysticism and elements and stuff like that, like, Macross Zero, he's right, though. Macross Zero looks good. Scott was right, right about it, that. Yeah. It does look good. That's, I think, why I'm even more annoyed by it, because it's like, damn, look how much Ichiro Itano is killing it on this and yet the show is still bad because of the writing because of like this scenario that's been put together here and so mm. I think it's interesting because like even though like if I think about it I think yeah it did look good I have no solid visual memory of it where at least like I feel like Macross 7 even though the animation was poor like I feel like I I know what those it looks character like. designs stick in yeah, my brain exactly I agree mm -hmm. I agree there too yeah I think that Backcross Zero just looked like some of the battles, yeah, were amazing, but like there's no distinctive like design to it that mm. sticks with me. And yeah, I think like even if uh, Macross 7 is kind of a miss for a lot of people, like I think I kind of appreciate the goofiness of it, what they were at least like trying to go for. And the music I think is good, whereas I just, there's not much at all that I can think of that I enjoyed about Zero. Right. And so I think the yeah. music for Macross 7, like, it works better if you're listening to on like a car or something like that because you mm. don't have to listen to each <laughs> yeah. track like over and over and over right. again. You get to hear like a whole variety of Firebomber tracks. And then when they make appearances in video games and stuff like that, any animation things are not a factor anymore because, you know, they animate the hell out of a video game, yeah. you know, animation type stuff. So it is sort of a gap in my Macross knowledge. And it's a very large gap just by volume of how much they made. I could argue that Macross 7 is the, the flagship one. And Japan loves it. They always loved it from the beginning. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they seem to still love it even, like to, to this day. Because like you said, there was a concert put together for the fictional band Firebomber where, you know, the performers came out and performed your Macross 7 hits years after the show came out. What, since 1994 now? So it's like a 25-year anniversary or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, it was just happened like a week ago as we record this. 
some huge, like, big firebomber concert. Big, big deal. Yeah. So, yeah, Fukushima was there, obviously. And Fukushima? Damn! Not Fukushima. Fuku- <laughs> we'll talk about that Fukuhara, when we get to Fukuhara. Fukuhara. Fukuhara, damn! What the... <laughs> Whatever. Fukuyama, Gerald. Fukuyama. If it's out there, people will find it. And much like how Macross 2 seems to have gotten a little more appreciation once separated by time that you can evaluate it on its own merits as a show. Macross 7 is in much the same way, I think. A lot more people are just like they can come into it without any sort of real baggage or preconceptions of what they would expect the sequel to Macross to be because remember like you said with macross 2 people were expecting like okay the sequel to macross and macross 7 okay the sequel to macross now we kind of have our understandings of what these things are more calibrated and realistic and i think people might uh, get a better appreciation of it i wonder how i'd feel if i watched it again well I, mm. I think you still have an expectation of what you know macross is to you just because it's such yeah. a, a core ingrained thing much like scott how it was his gateway anime Right. Well, I mean, the, the Macross that I like is DYRL, the original Macross, and Macross Plus. Those are like my core. And things that are way, way, way outside of that are probably less appealing to me. So. All right. So for writing in, Scott, I will send you a one-year Got Anime membership to our sponsor, WriteStuffAnime.com, and that will give you an additional discount off of their prices, up to 10%. In addition, you will get priority order processing, 60 days for returns if need be. I've never had to return anything personally, as well as special promotions that are only available to those with God Anime memberships. Right Stuff is definitely where I'm purchasing more or less all my anime buys at this point over Amazon. There's two reasons for that. For one, Right Stuff is cheaper than Amazon in most cases. For example... I had my pre-order in for Phoenix Perfect Collection on Blu-ray. This is the Osamu Tezuka anime adaptation of Phoenix that was done several years ago. 2004 was actually a co-production with the New York PBS affiliate. And so it was made in high definition, even though it was 2004, and that was really uncommon. However, it's only finally getting released in HD 15 years later. You can actually go back to show 36 where we reviewed that shortly after it came out, before it even come out on DVD in the United States. The price that Amazon wants to charge for that set is $60. The price for that same set on Right Stuff is $45. Now, granted, it is a Media Blasters release, and who knows what the deal with them is. The original street date of this thing was September 17th, and then when I was like, hey, did anyone ever get this thing? I didn't even find out that it mailed out, and now it's saying it's out of stock. I tweeted that, and Right Stuff found out and responded to me and they said, we'll follow up with Media Blasters. We'll see what's going on. They went and within like a few minutes said, oh, Media Blasters has to change the street date of that to October 8th. And so then they updated the website based entirely on that. Media Blasters is a weird company, but whatever. Right Stuff's prices on things are pretty much no contest at this point. Other reason, because I did say there were two reasons I support them over Amazon, is that Amazon's packaging... Lately, especially, sucks. Like, these poor people at these warehouses for Amazon, they have to, like, package a million things. And so they can't really put stuff in the proper protective packaging. Gerald ordered his limited edition Fire Emblem Three Houses through Amazon, and the packaging sucked, and it arrived damaged. And it's a limited edition, so it's like, what are you going to do? Well, you can either return it and not have a limited edition at all because they only made a few, 
or you have to keep a damaged box. Right stuff, they always package your items really, really well. First, they wrap it in paper, then they put a cardboard barrier around that, and then they put it in the box. So I've never had a problem with ordering things from Right Stuff and having them arrive damaged. Shipping is free for orders over $50 to the United States, $250 for orders to Canada. For me, I hit those limits pretty quickly to qualify for free shipping, especially right now as I record this, because all of the Nozomi Entertainment titles are on sale this week. So, you know, if you don't yet have your Utena 20th Anniversary Ultra Edition Blu-ray set, it's currently $191 instead of $225. So do check them out. The website is www.rightstufanime.com. But if you click the link from our website, www.animeworldorder.com, we will get a small percentage back for any purchases made. It's like an Amazon affiliates thing. Anyway, let's kick off the decade in review. If anything sounds like it might be to your fancy, consider buying the physical media release from Right Stuff in the event that one is still in print. Because with streaming, you never know. All right, and so we will be kicking this off on this episode. I have no idea how many episodes it's going to take for us to get through this. What's the over-under estimate? I'm going well, to price this right this one out. I'm hoping it's three. Okay, three. Clarissa, do you think we can do it in three, or do you think we need more? I'm going to go with four, just because I know we tend to go long. <laughs> four might be the more realistic choice, because it is one of those cases where, as it's been famously pointed out many a time, as recently as a few days ago, the anime industry is making too many damn shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are not enough people to actually create this much content like the industry has been struggling because the demand for anime is continually on the rise and the amount of people working production is not continuing on the rise because the work conditions for anime suck and so right there's not a lot of people who are like breaking down the doors hey i want to work in anime but nevertheless we are going to start with the year 2010, because this is a decade in review, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each year, 2010, then 2011, 2012, etc., all the way to 2019, and talk about shows that we thought were something that stood out in some way. So that could be that something that we liked a lot, or something that we thought was so bad that we <laughs> still remember the infamy and the terror and the pain. It can be any number of those things. And we will do this like sort of one at a time where we'll just go and each of us names a title until we've all sufficiently named things that we feel encapsulate that year. But before we get started. Now, are we splitting it up by season or just within the it year? It can be just within the year. It doesn't have to go through. Like, you don't have to be like spring, summer, fall, winter. It be anything okay. that came out in the year because I did not arrange things so specifically to be by season. What we will do is start by pointing out that in the year 2010, there were approximately 271 anime titles Jesus. that yeah. the production started in 2010. And that's going to be our criteria. That counts everything from direct-to-video, movies, new series. And it may be a low-ball number. The actual number may be higher. But it had to have started in 2010. So if it started years yeah. before and it was still running and it was on in 2010, we're not actually counting that 
in this body count, so to speak, unless there's like some sort of momentous thing like, hey, there was a break in production and then it came back for another season. So we count it as almost another series after a fashion. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd like to bring up to sort of encapsulate this decade that we're going to talk about, just so we understand like where we're going here, where we started this decade in January 2009, right before the time period that we're starting this, that was when Crunchyroll went legit. They didn't have a lot there. Like they caught the big core stuff. They had like Naruto Shippuden and like the big stuff then. But I think as we go through this decade, you will see like the shift from watching anime, new anime, I would say, primarily as purchased on DVD and download fan subs to primarily watching it through streaming services. That was my big deep thing that I wanted to get out there no no it's a good it's a good thing to point out because (laughs) this long pause of absolutely no one saying anything about that just (laughs) no but that is what i noticed was that crunchyroll went legit but i don't think in 2010 they were the dominant thing yet no not quite yet i can tell you even through at least 2012 or so like they were still getting their footing actually i would say probably like even 2011 like the whole simulcast thing was still kind of novel Mm -hmm. at that point so some of these things that we're talking about just came out that year and we didn't see it until a little while later and some of these things as we go further on will be like oh that was a simulcast thing yeah so starting in 2010 i have my stuff arranged by season but we can go whenever i'm arranging it sort of by like i want to talk about this versus Uh. whatever but you can take whatever route that you want to take okay well what is interesting is as i go through this there are some seasons where i watch like nothing and then some seasons where it was just a ton of stuff. Right. I wasn't necessarily watching this as it was all coming out. I was sort of, I got to it. But one of the bigger shows of 2010 for me was uh, Durara. Right, yeah. Durara, tell us a little bit about it. Tell us what you remember, what you liked. This was a, well, the thing is, is that the, what's interesting to me about the show is that it started off as a show. What I remember was Selty, our character who was a biker lady who's uh issue was that she had no head but she had a banging bod and so no one was paying attention to the fact <laughs> that she's got a motorcycle helmet and no head yeah a headless light, woman and not really topless bar a light novel you wouldn't be able to tell that by its name but a, a very short named light novel by the creator of uh, what's it bacano yep mm-hmm. real Ganarda. yeah and this was a show where i really enjoyed the first half of the show that was more centered around Selty and that character. And then the second half of the show was more centered around sort of a gang war. And that didn't appeal to me as much. But mm. what are your guys' takes on that? Personally, I always like Bacano more than Durara. But yeah. the thing mm-hmm. is, is that Bacano is set in mostly an American setting, whereas Durara is set in Japan. And so in Japan... They liked Durara way more than they liked Bakano. And so Bakano is yet to get an anime sequel, whereas Durara got tons of sequels. They had a season two, then yeah. they had the side stories, and then they had a season three, and I think maybe even a season four, and they had some, oh, like, you know, there's a right. lot. And tons more. of merchandise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be honest, I do think that it's the less good one of the two. That's not to say I dislike mm-hmm. Durara, but I also do kind of feel like. It started more strongly than it went on to turn into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think 2010 was the year I went to comic and Durara was everywhere. Mm. Like, it was huge. I bought a bunch of stuff 
for that. So yeah, that also took off way more in like doujinshi circles than Bakano did. Hmm. You can still watch that show, I believe, right? I mean, I remember it was an Anaplex thing, if memory serves. But is it still in print? We had better not try to name every show that is in print or not in print. I'm just saying, like, you know, can people watch it? And yes, it's still on Crunchyroll, at least the first two seasons. Crunchyroll, Hulu, Netflix, Verve. Yeah, you can watch Duara very readily. The the later seasons, you may only be on Crunchyroll, Hulu, though. Right. But yeah, like, you can still go check this out. Although one other show that we did watch, we watched the show recently that came out that year that I don't believe was on Crunchyroll, and we had to, like find the fan subs of it was a show called katana gatari yep that's uh definitely that whole monogatari like, well, no, actually not. no i always it screw this up it's not sneaking in an extra show Gerald, and it took two. I see. that's right you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's double but yeah it's like that name makes you think that it's one of those shaft monogatari things but it is right. not it is not not at all and i always think it is and then correct myself mid-sentence yeah. uh, so <laughs> what is katana gatari about Boy, I'm going to have to remember each one of these. We just say something about it and why you liked it, it, why you're naming it. It was a show that I remember enjoying about a girl and a guy, a real dumb guy, who is a really good sword fighter. That's what I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So does it take place in modern day or is it like ancient samurai era? It's it's ancient Japan. It's got a supernatural bent. There's like stuff about basically like enchanted swords. Mm-hmm. The design work is really good. Um, it has really distinctive character designs. Yes. Really good animation. Just a really enjoyable show. I didn't really know anything about it going into it because I never really heard that many people talk about it, which I think is unfortunate because I thought it was really good. I believe that to watch that, you have to get that the, the old-fashioned way. Yeah, it never came yeah. out here. And that's one, one of those things where you don't hear much discussion about it because a lot of people, they don't know how to fan sub stuff. So this is like the tail end of that when people were still fan-subbing shows. And so you could see things like that that aren't just a rip from some simulcast. Mm-hmm. God, there's a lot more stuff came out in 2010 than I initially remembered. Like a lot of good stuff (laughs) came out this year. I guess not necessarily going in order. I'll just go with one of the ones that came out was um, Princess Jellyfish. Absolutely. that show. Yeah, great show. Definitely. I mean, that was like the first thing that introduced a lot of people to that, you know, manga artist. I think it was like the first animated adaptation of her work. It's just such a good show. I wish that more of it had been adapted. There's definitely more manga, but at least eventually the manga did get licensed and start coming out here. So you can actually read the rest of it, which was not the case for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But really great show about otaku and all like female otaku, which you don't see too much. And they're not like... Yeah, they're like otaku for like not just anime, really, particularly. Yeah. They're like really into things like dolls. Right, like the one girl is into like the Three Kingdoms. Right, everyone yes. remembers her, my yeah. you. Yes. Certainly the main character, we're calling her Princess Jellyfish, because like that's one of the things that she's into. Yeah. yeah. Is that. And so that is a very interesting show. I have like the nice Blu-ray set of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the only place it's streaming now is like, it's Funimation, it was their show, so it's on their site. Mm. Yeah, But yeah, I think it still holds up. It's still really well done. Mm-hmm. Definitely a standout from 2010. So since Gerald took two, do you want to take a second one? Sure. Now, I wasn't sure whether to include this because it is a second season, but I think there was a gap. So 2010 is when the second season of Big Windup, Okiku Furikabute, came out. Mm. I think there was a gap between those two seasons, if I remember. But that's another one. Like It was pretty popular in Japan, but... 
like a lot of sports shows, it never really caught on that much in the U.S. I mean, it had its following. Like there was actually a an English language doujin like zine anthology that came out. But yeah, I think like a lot of sports shows, it would only have like a niche following. But really, really good show. Yeah, we actually Not reviewed quite it. As, yes, if you go back to our review index, it was back in two thousand and eight. We have a review of Big Wind Up that you can listen to. Yeah, because I think that was after the first season and first the season second only. season was delayed. So there was a couple years between the first and the second season. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where Funimation, they put it out. It did not do well for them. Yeah, I think me and like five other people bought it. Maybe <laughs> Like the second season was streaming only, I think. It did eventually get put out on disc. I think I have it on my show. Okay, yeah, I, I can't remember. But like... Right now, I think it's split. Like, if you want to watch season one of Big Wind Up, it's like just Funimation service. And then season two of Big Wind Up, it's like just Crunchyroll. So something weird like that. Like, I think if you go to Crunchyroll right now and you search Big Wind Up, you only get season two. Oh, how awkward. But yeah, that is a funny show. There's a lot of ridiculous faces. Yeah, it, it did eventually come out on disc, but I don't think there's a Blu-ray release. I only have it on DVD. Yeah, it wasn't like the most spectacular looking show in the first place. And I think it might even have been like, they were still not fully committed to like HD production in anime anyway. Yeah. So some things looked great or were made for it and other things, you know, were pretty much made standard right. deaf. I guess uh, I'll, I'll go. This does not feel... Like it's nine goddamn years ago. But in 2010 was when we got Penny and Stocking with Garter okay, Belt. Yeah. All right. So that was like the last of the true Gynax power shows to the point where we almost nowadays in 2019, we almost don't even think of it as a Gynax show because pretty mm. much everyone who worked on it left the studio to be part of Trigger. Right. Very much homage to American style cartoons, only like obviously much more raunchy in the humor. Visually, you know, you could tell like there was a lot of Cartoon Network Nickelodeon of the late 90s or early 2000s Mm -hmm. sort of visual stuff. And yeah, I mean, everyone really loved that show. Then when it came out here, you know, the dub was like ridiculous and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. We reviewed it shortly after it ended back in show 91. What a shame that that show, like, it and ends, it ends on like this total troll yeah, of an yeah, ending. Where they, they never intended, they never intended to make any more, and then they just said at the last second, "What if we just do like this super troll ending that'll be like this big cliffhanger, and then never make any more of it?" <laughs> and so that's Real exactly fan. what they did. That's Funimation only. It's not a Crunchyroll or anything. But that was one where people were going crazy over that show when it came out, deservedly so. I love yeah. it. It's still great. It's super <laughs> offensive in like uh basically yes. <laughs> every sense but it did get closer to cosplay so that's uh, another momentous <laughs> achievement of panning and stocking with garter belt you can still watch it because uh still pretty easy to find on home video and it's streaming as well but again funimation site only i'll take a second one also and then then we'll actually have decorum and each do one thing at a time <laughs> so the next one i'll pick was sort of the opposite and of the spectrum from Panty and Stocking with Garter Belts. This was a show that died on the vine when it came out, but it was now in 2019 is starting to get sort of a revival in interest. This is the Tatami Galaxy, Masaki Yuasa show mm. that is related in continuity to a recent film called The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. It actually takes place before that. And for years, Funimation could not get people to watch this thing. They put the thing up for free on YouTube and 
the views on YouTube were like nothing. The whole show was there. Nobody cared about it. Mm-hmm. It was a very dialogue heavy show, very narration heavy show going back years. Like my pitch to it, like decade ago when I said, Hey, Paul Chapman, go watch this. He's like, well, what's it like? And I said, well, think of it as, as if we're fight club meets groundhog day, because the premise is, you have a guy who is entering college and he's like, man, I was a loser in high school, but I am going to turn my geek life around in college and I am going to have like a, a great life and everything is going to be awesome. And no one needs to know that I'm a loser. And so he joins like an extracurricular club and then nothing goes according to what he wants. And at the end of the episodes, at least initially, Time rewinds and it goes back to the beginning of freshman year. And so the first couple episodes are he joins a club. Oh, that turned out shitty. Time rewinds. I'll join another club. Oh, that didn't go well either. So you think that's the whole show, but the formula starts to shift to be something else to be like, oh, here's what's actually going on. And to say what that is would be telling. But I think if you liked The Night of Short Walk On Girl, which a lot of people did, you should go watch it to Tom and Galaxy. For years, people were saying, please release this on home video, Funimation. Funimation's like, God, you guys wouldn't watch this thing for free. You want us yeah. to put this thing out on video? We're not going to do it. Well, the Tatami Galaxy is now out on Blu-ray and DVD from Funimation. So it took... Is it still on YouTube? No, it's not on no, YouTube okay. anymore. It's only on Funimation's streaming service. Mm. Dialogue, like, it's very obviously adapted from a novel because the narrator is, like, just constantly talking about, you know, here's what's going on, and it's very ridiculous and insane. But, yeah, as I look, the release date of that Blu-ray was two weeks ago. Wow. So wow. it took nine years, but it has finally happened. And I think now Masaki Uasa is, like, somebody It's like, oh, we'll pay attention to that guy. Right. You know, they're, they're catching up. So now's a good time to catch up. Speaking of Clarissa cosplaying, I did actually cosplay from this in my one and only time. And this was a reboot, not a reboot, but like a continuation of an old show. Sequel. Yeah, of uh, that was Cobra the Animation. That was one of those where basically it was, we're going to make this like the next episode of the show that came out in 1982 or so. Right. Space Adventure Cobra was something... from the 70s that was in Weekly Shonen Jump. So it was for all the kids. (laughs) Amazing. 18 volumes of raw, unbridled power, nine of which have been scanlated. But it took many, many years for it to really come out here because prior to this, I think around the time 2010, at the time, I don't think the Cobra television series was officially released in the United States. I think it was just like partially no. fan-subbed. Most people, if they knew anything I about Cobra. I think the movie was out, maybe? Yeah, the, everyone yeah, the had movie. seen the movie because Streamline had released that and uh, yeah. then Urban Vision had released that. And not Stream, Streamline never released Cobra movie, but Urban Vision definitely did. But yeah, people had seen mostly just the movie prior to that. And so... To have this come out and be like, okay, and now the story continues from a point that maybe you never have seen before. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting choice because, like, it feels like, okay, then the only people that are likely to watch this are the same people that watched the show. And I think that's what they were aiming for. Or or people who like that aesthetic because I absolutely, like, adore Cobra the Animation. And, I mean, it is ridiculous. Like, it's got the same look and the same style. It's this sort of very, like, pulpy science fiction that's just, like, Mm. humongous powers that... Well, and I think probably for Japan, because Cobra was really huge in Japan, but, like, for over here, it's definitely, like, 
only a tiny handful oh, of people probably ever yeah, saw Cobra that show. Yeah, was big in Europe also. It may still be streaming on Crunchyroll, and it may be one of the least popular things on Crunchyroll. Like, I think if you <laughs> yeah. actually organize it by popularity, I think it is on the last no, page. No, no, no. Th- those but, Cobra uh, sequels are, uh, those are high dive things. Because remember, high dive, no, no, th- uh, I mean, yeah, time Sunset Filmworks. Yeah, Time Drive and... Cobra the Animation, Cobra the Psycho Gun, Cobra Time Drive, they're all on High Dive. So that means if they're on High Dive, they're also on Verve, but they're not on Crunchyroll. Well, they they were... Cobra the Animation was on Crunchyroll. Once upon a time, right. Once upon a time. now we have the physical releases. Yeah, it switched over. So I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong, but no, it's not available there now. But yeah, it was one of the least popular things ever on there, and it's fantastic if you like ridiculous sci-fi one of the scenes, like, they send, like, attack dogs out for Cobra, but the attack dogs are, like, women on leashes that shoot lasers out of their mouths. Right, so this is by <laughs> Buichi Terasawa, who also gave us Goku Midnight Eye, which also has women on leashes who fire laser beams from their mouths. So he's yes. a very versatile <laughs> creator, is what we're saying. I love, love, like, if you like any of Cobra, watch those series. It's fantastic. Also, if you like ladies with muscular asses. Yes, he is a Buichi big, Terasawa he's an is the biggest man. ass man in the we, industry. We need more Buichi yes. Terasawa stuff with powerful women and asses. What fascinates <laughs> me is that the content of Cobra didn't really change over the years. Like if you go back to Shonen Jump back then, it's the same. Yes. It's just the people who are into Cobra have now aged a good 20, 30 years, and therefore Cobra, if you keep it exactly the same, is now sane in that. Yes. It's weird, right? Like, it's like this was stuff that was made for, like, kids. Literally the same audience as Dragon Ball. A little before Dragon Ball, but yeah, I mean, you know, still the same well, idea, same, same, same publication. Magazine, same publication, right. right. You know, maybe, like, the same people reading, like, Kuramata type stuff. Seems so weird. <laughs> so, do you want to take one, Clarissa? Um... Sure. So let's see. Um, I was trying to feed you one. No, no, no. I mean, there's a couple things that I have on my list that I wasn't sure, Daryl, if you were going to bring up. It doesn't matter like who brings up what. The winter of 2010 is when Legend of Koizumi that came out. That is correct. The legend, the legend of Koizumi is a mind-blowing <laughs> experience of an anime. Yes. I think it's still on YouTube. Yeah, it has to still be on YouTube. Still not topped. Like, it is that no. amazing. So, so explain what the legend of Koizumi <laughs> is. So the Legend of Koizumi is a Mahjong series, and the concept is that the main character is the ex-prime minister of Japan, Koizumi, and it's basically him in Mahjong matches against other world leaders, but also just incredibly bizarre things happen. There is a manga that continues on past where there were only like a few episodes of the anime. Very few, because each episode was like like, four or something. And they were made for the internet, I think. Yeah, so they were really short, like five minutes or ten minutes, something. So yeah, really, really short. And it's just nonsense constantly. George Bush Sr. is inexplicably gigantic and ripped. (laughs) And And George Bush Jr. is pissing himself. and Yeah. Yeah. Koizumi, like, can survive anything. Um, I think eventually in the manga, there was, like, a showdown with Hitler on the moon. That is correct. Yes. (laughs) There's Adolf Hitler versus Junichiro Koizumi playing Mahjong on the moon for the fate of the world. (laughs) Because, by the way, Hitler's still alive. 
right, in right. this uh, logic of Koizumi <laughs> land. But yes, it's this over-the-top, ridiculous Mahjong thing, and all sorts of Japanese politicians are portrayed as like super-duper superhero kind of guys. Right. Also, Korean politicians, Chinese politicians, Oh, oh US yeah, every politicians. other politician is like, you know, we got... I think eventually the manga went on enough that Trump is playing Mahjong, which is a little unbelievable, the concept that Trump knows the rules to Mahjong. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure the author of this doesn't know the Presumably rules to Mahjong. Presumably he just cheats either. a lot. Yeah, you That's know. how all of uh, Mahjong works, though, so... Yes, it's, it's yeah. all right. about cheating and bullshit and just being insane. <laughs> and some guy just being amazed that like Koizumi is going to stop the nuclear bomb by getting in this fighter jet after being shot 20 times. <laughs> and then he's going to make it back unscathed to win at his hand of Mahjong. Really, really great stuff. And you can probably still find it all on YouTube. But yes, it is unfortunate that they did not make enough to cover the 16 volume saga that is the legend of Koizumi. God, 16 volumes. It was just... <laughs> I think it was too powerful. It's, yeah, it's, it's a little it's, too powerful yeah. a concept. There's only three episodes, as I check. Okay. I guess the, the director of it ended up having to do other things that were just considered slightly more important, like Shirabako and prison school and stuff like that. <laughs> and he just was too busy to come back to The Legend of Koizumi. I was trying to feed this one to you, Clarissa, by mentioning Kuramata, but uh, there was a, yes. another season of the exciting sports documentary Ring Nikakiro in 2010. Ring Nikakiro. Speaking of ridiculous things. Yes. Uh, absolutely realistic <laughs> portrayals of real <laughs> things that happen. Ring Nikakiro is by Masami Kuramata, who's best known for being the Saint Seiya guy. And th what's yeah. interesting about this is that it's a 2010 anime, but it's an anime adaptation you would not know it. of something that came out in the 70s. It took just that long, even though it's one of like a really popular Shonen Jump title, tens of millions of copies, and it went on really long. But the anime world was just not ready for the Ring Nikakuro, and so it took decades for any of it to get animated. And so like, I, this is the third season, I think. And I remember like the early 2000s, they started one season. And then it's always like years between seasons. Like, cause I check season two of Rini Kakiro was in 2006 and they did like a 13 episodes right. or 12 episodes. And then I think the next one was like 2012, I think. 2011. And it was not even like a full thing. It was like, I think half a season. And then the mm. second half of the season took, came out like the a year. Well, no, no, I think, um, yeah, no, they took a break. Yeah, there was like a, yeah. a extended hiatus before you got the last step of episodes. And it's only like, again, another six or so episodes. And yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's allegedly about boxing. But it's the sort of boxing where it's like if you throw a punch, you have the effect of throwing a punch in Saint Seiya. Yeah, it's functionally Saint Seiya. It's just ostensibly it's boxing. There's nuclear explosions that happen because you punch somebody and... There's boxing yes, Nazis. Yes, of course. Yeah. There's, you know, all sorts of flamboyant people. Like, you know, you got like a guy on death row who's, you know, got to be in boxing. And then you've got like, I think there's like a person who's in the KKK. But I think that might have been only in the manga, like a scanlation thing I was looking at. But yes, it is completely insane and completely over the top. Not at all any knowledge of boxing required uh, to understand <laughs> no. Rini Kakuro. It might be better if you know nothing about boxing, because right. if you're really into boxing, say, I don't you might be like, legal. what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Unfortunately, Ring Nikakuro was never licensed by anybody. No. Nope. 
Not even streaming. No, I never for no. streaming. Yeah. No license for. I mean, physical even the media. fan subs were very like sparse. Very hard to come by on the fan subs. Mm-hmm. Even I think you can probably still download torrents, but I would not be surprised if they were no longer seated. I'm gonna do a quick search right now. Yeah, Ring Nikakuro is almost not available, even like among the people who fan subbed it. Like most of these torrents are dead, but I'm sure you could find them. It's just it would be a difficult thing, which is unfortunate because I always got a huge kick out of Ring Nikakuro. Yeah, I really liked what I saw of that. I'm trying to pick uh, some highlights here. Uh, there was a movie that came out that year. Long, long, long after it should have. Multiple good movies came out. Yeah, I like this movie quite a bit. I'm talking about, of course, Trigon Badlands Rumble. And this Mm -hmm. should have come out like nine or ten years before it did. Right, like Trigon's heyday was like 90s. Like it was a big 90s show. Yes. Came out, was big in the fan subs. Then it got licensed and was released on DVD, like very slowly. It was big on DVD. Then it made it on a Cartoon Network and then Mm -hmm. remained big. So it's like its shelf life among like anime in the United States, like fans there. It was pretty long. Yeah. I still see Vash the Stampede cosplayers around at conventions. Yeah. I mean, it's such a distinctive outfit. There's certainly not like a million people carrying around these cross punishers in the hallways anymore. But like, no. uh, you know, the thing is, is that when it came out on the Cartoon Network, that was 2003. It's 2010. Mm-hmm. And Trigon, the movie comes out. Most of those people weren't even watching anime anymore. We didn't even yeah. get it in 2010. Like, I, I don't think I watched it until at least a year later. But yeah, like it's and it's a good movie. In fact, I think in terms of Trigon, it might be the best Trigon content, arguably. But yeah, looks gorgeous. Oh yeah, it's an it amazing gorgeous. looking movie. Really it's well just, done. Really funny. Yeah, it's good it's action. Exactly what you would want. I'm just like, why didn't this come out 1999 or 2000 or something? Yeah, and, and the yeah, only answer I can give is that Trigon was never as popular in Japan as it was in the United States. Like you know, because yeah. Trigon, the setting is this Western setting. The characters are distinctly like a sort of not Japanese like sort of background. And I think just that sort of visual and aesthetic just caught on way better in the rest of the world than in Japan itself. And so in Japan, they were like, eh, Trigon isn't really anything great. But, you know, obviously the author, Yasuhiro Naitao, he relaunched his manga because the original Trigon manga yeah. was like three volumes. And then the yeah. anime came out and it's like, oh, I'm going to keep this going, Trigon Maximum. And mm-hmm. that's happened to him in his career other times. We'll get to that yeah. in later episodes of this as we get through the decade in review. Definitely feels like uh, Cannon Busters got some uh, influence from that. Yeah, yeah, I would say Cannon Busters like is oh, sure. very heavily Trigon influenced. Yes. Yeah, I mean Trigon was huge, like because it ran on Cartoon Network, like even outside of the the standard anime circles. I mean, I remember they had that line of action figures from McFarlane. Yeah, yeah and that was that. like that a came thing out. people did not think that would ever happen. That you'd get anime yeah. figures made by a U.S. toy manufacturer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good movie should have come out much, much sooner than it did. Yeah, I'll actually go with a, another movie. I mentioned it because it's interesting. So 2010, apparently, is when the first Nanaha movie came out. And the Nanaha movie is really interesting because, like, I watched the TV series. Nanaha is a magical girl show, but it's one that I think is usually... I think it's for a little older audiences. Yeah, I feel like I'd, like most of the people that I know that are into it are guys. Yeah, a bit more sane in a... But yeah. I, I'm not going to... Yeah, don't I know definitely that, like, feel like the target it's... audience for Nanaha was not young children. Yeah, it's a neat concept, but the TV series, the quality wasn't the best. It kind of dragged. But the movie, 
I think is such a good distillation. Like, it looks amazing. I would definitely recommend people check it out just for the animation alone. Uh, it looks phenomenal. Some of the best Magical Girl stuff I've seen, um, especially, you know, if you are into the idea of Magical Girls with giant space lasers, mm -hmm. definitely recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> This one is really, you know, sometimes you have these compilation movies or these like redo movies and they kind of suffer from trying to cram everything into the movie runtime. But I feel like this one, they really were able to just cut out all of the stuff that dragged from the series and get something that's a, a much more enjoyable distillation. Now, was that an Anaplex thing? Like, I don't remember if Nanaha actually came out here or not. I don't know if the movies actually came out. The TV shows did. Let me see if I can check. I think it's on my shelf. But yeah, Nanaha was one of those things that kind of kicked off, like it wasn't the main one, but it was certainly like marking the pivot of these Magical Girl things to be like, and now Magical Girl shows are for adult men. Pretty Cure is like the holdout where it's like, we're still for kids. There's adult men watching it, but it's still for kids. Whereas Nanaha seemed like, okay, this is not the full on 100% like dark Magical Girl type stuff. We'll get to that. Yeah, that came later. But certainly felt like, a, and I think the signal was just, if you just look at the transformation <laughs> sequence of Nanaha, you'd be like, okay, right. this is yeah. for... <laughs> This is for some grown-ass... This was made by Pervers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think... I don't think the movies actually came out, but the TV shows did. Mm. That show might be out of print, even. I don't remember who has it. Like, I don't think you can stream Nanaha at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. And the, the shows came out back on DVD, and I don't know that they ever got a Blu-ray re-release. I know they exist in Japan, that there's Blu-rays for mm -hmm. Nanaha, and like I think maybe the various sequels and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know enough about it. But there's no stream, there's no disc you can buy, so that's like a piracy-only sort of route at this point. <laughs> yeah. I will go the opposite route of Nanaha and pick something that maybe actually isn't as far removed from Nanaha as we may truly think. Because in 2010, we got perhaps the finest three episodes of Mayhem ever committed to animation because that was when Mazenkaiser's Skull came out. Uh, yeah. I was waiting for one of you to mention that. So, so yeah. Mazenkaiser's yep. Skull is about two dudes who don't give a fuck who have a robot <laughs> and uh, they definitely saw the movie Equilibrium. One of the guys is good with guns. One of the guys is good with a sword and they just go and fuck shit up. And there's a soundtrack by loudness, not seen since Odin photon space sailor starlight. Yeah. Yep. Probably the most metal Mazinger right. yeah. or Mazinger. Yeah. Property. There's no relation to the previous Mazinger title or Mazinger Z or anything like that. They're not really any recurring characters so to speak it's really just yeah, like yeah it's like an alternate universe pretty huh? much i think it was one of those things that media blasters put out who the hell knows what's going on with that company you know <laughs> you, you probably cannot buy for like 10 years they have been in like are they even alive do they even exist let's check their website oh it hasn't been updated but they still show up at conventions right right yeah. it's really weird well they still license hentai right i don't mm. even know if they do that not much no they still license just anime mm. as well but it's just like a sporadic thing here and there. You can still watch Mazenkaiser's Skull because it's on Crunchyroll. Do not be alarmed by it's the fact that just as episode one, that's the whole thing. It's all three episodes in that thing that's just called episode one on Crunchyroll. And so it's on Tubi as well and Verve. So you can easily watch Mazenkaiser's Skull for free pretty much anywhere legally. But if you want to actually own a physical 
edition of Mazen Kaiser's skull where there's just a bunch of blood and tits and robots being smashed up and toenails being pulled out in slow motion or whatever the hell it goes on. And Mazen Kaiser's skull is a bunch of crazy psycho dudes yell shit. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, it's over. You can experience that magic <laughs> for yourself right now. And I highly recommend you do so. Yep. So I was trying to figure out, is Mazinger's skull the gayest Mazinger property? It is possibly the gayest Mazinger possibly. property. I mean, it's one of those things where until they animate that Getter Robo manga that's coming out, that's the one with like Getter Emperor and stuff. Like it's oh probably God. the one that gives Devilman Crybaby the run for its money. But like, uh, yeah, no, Mazinger's <laughs> skull, yeah, is, is two guys who are uh, quite repressed, I should say, and take it out on everything around them. I have nothing bad to say about it. <laughs> No, I, I quite liked it. Another series, also three episodes that I could like quite a bit that probably led to other bigger things. Gunpla Builders series came out in 2010. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was a three-part sort of special series that was all about how great and wonderful it is to build Gunpla. It is ridiculous, and I love it. Please buy our model kits. All the Gundam yeah. things are about please buy our model <laughs> yeah. kits. But this yeah. one was literally about people building model kits. Right. Right. If you want, you can listen to our review of it that we did back in 2012. Yeah. And so this was the original one that eventually became other things that we'll talk about, you know, as right. the decade in review goes on. Yeah. I remember there was a scene in it where the, the kid, and it, this is played, by the way, for like how wonderful this is, of this <laughs> kid like building his gunpla in his room while his two friends are there. And I just think like, this would be the most boring thing in the world for these friends to be there. Cause this kid is like sitting there and it, watch it, somebody else put together a model kit. Yes. A very right. slowly put together a model Not like kit. a Twitch stream. I mean, if they're really good at it, maybe, but I don't know, but I like it a lot. I don't believe it ever got licensed or released here. The original one. I don't know if that came out. I know certainly the yeah. things that came out afterwards did like build fighters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Build fighters is really what this, morphed into and build fighters was huge build yeah. fighters was effectively what like a kind of pokemon-ish sort of approach to gundam mm -hmm. but angelic layer exactly very yeah. much so. right very much angelic layer as well and yeah but gunpla builders was straight up these are gunpla that you buy and it was all about very much trying to show kids young kids like what this is about yeah i mean i wonder like is kind of the popularity of stuff like gunpla really fading with like video games and all the other stuff like i don't know what the sales are and how common it is for at least younger audiences i know a lot of them are that. into card battlers and card collecting type stuff we'll get into that mm. soon Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. You can see the rationale for why they would say, like, hey, we want to have something that's targeted more towards younger kids, just to diversify the portfolio, so to speak. I was a little surprised it took this long to get around to it, but um, 2010 was when Rainbow came out. Yep. Mm -hmm. We reviewed yep. this show, so Laugh a if minute. you really want to hear about it in more detail, I would look that up in the review index. Hilarious. But yeah, I mean, great show. Again, like... That one had a weird release because I think it like came out initially and then like got removed from streaming. Like it was up for a very brief period. It was another one like Tatami yeah. Galaxy where they had put it up for streaming and you could watch it. Right. And then it got taken down. There was no interest yeah. in it. Yeah. And then they, they took it down. They lost the license to it. They never released a home video release because they're like, look, people aren't even watching this thing for free. Right. So we can't even put this thing I out there. I think now it's back up again, though, right? I 
don't believe so. I think that is just a thing that's huh. gone. Yeah, I think it is just completely gone. Yeah, I think Funimation lost the license to it, and they did not pursue putting it back up, which is really unfortunate because it's an excellent, excellent series. A very hard to watch at an odd of times, just because again, it's a very serious, heavy show, which we reviewed um, last year. As a matter of fact, if you go to the index, the full title is. Um, Rainbow Nishorokubo no Shichinen. Right. Which is the name that you'll be able to find it under if you search for like fan subs or whatever. But I don't think anyone like that. It's one of the things like the modern approach to quote torrenting stuff is you steal a rip from like a legal site. <laughs> this was something that people didn't even steal. Yeah. Like the one that you can get is like a fan sub that people made because there was a delay. Like I think the first six, like we talked about this mm-hmm. in that review, but like the first six episodes that came out in fan sub and then it was announced oh by Funimation we're gonna license this and put it up and so the fan right. sub stopped because they were like ethically yeah. like saying oh no we actually want people to see this thing and then it came out and it dropped and it went away and then it was like oh now we gotta put things up but yeah so the streaming rights expired long ago never released on home video so fan subs and the manga's partially scanlated a, l- a little bit of a rough watch but very good yep on the subject of diversifying portfolios, as far as Gundam is concerned. So we had uh, model fighters for all the kids to get mm-hmm. into this mobile suit Gundam thing. But in 2010, we went the opposite direction as well, because it was time to return to the universal century. Cause that is when Gundam unicorn yep. started mm-hmm. in 2010. This was the return to a setting that people thought was dead and mined to hell. But, as Harutoshi Fukui pointed out, like, no, they still got enough in the tank that, you know, you can start treating your Universal Century type productions as if they were like prestige releases. So it's really, really well animated. You know, you have the Yoshikazu Yasuhiko character designs back. We reviewed it back in 2014. So that's five years ago that we reviewed Gundam Unicorn. We As always, whenever I bring this up, I will say it's preferred that you watch Gundam Unicorn in the original OAV formats because they what they did was they said we have enough footage that we can chop this up and make a TV series out of it. And that is really bad. It just doesn't work that way. But you can buy Gundam Unicorn on Blu-ray now, and it does not cost a million dollars. Finally. How they were charging. But unfortunately, you cannot stream it. In the OAV format, you can only watch that chopped up TV version, Gundam Unicorn Re-0096. That's what's streaming, and I don't recommend you watch that. Watch just the original OAVs if possible. I think it might be a little tricky to get into. Like The first episode is very accessible if you've never seen Gundam, and then as it progresses, it maybe starts to refer back to stuff that maybe you may need to know a little bit about. I don't think it's incomprehensible necessarily because it's set years afterwards, but it's certainly meant to be like an end to that universal century timeline. So naturally they made more (laughs) of it. And for us to talk about that, you will have to hit the Patreon goal, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, yeah, if you want to hear us talk about that in detail, it was uh, show 129. Now we're getting to shows that I may have watched some of, but didn't necessarily finish. 
or shows that I don't have a lot of things to say about. Are you going to talk about your, your favorite movie? <laughs> no, uh, well, actually, this is... A... We don't want to bore people by saying, ah, here's a thing that came out, I have nothing to say about it. Well, the, uh, Squid Girl did start there, and I did love Squid Girl. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Squid Girl is a powerful entry from 2010. Yes, love Squid Girl. I need to own that. Squid Girl is this adorable show about a girl who is... Is a squid. Yes. Yes. It is the cutest, delightful, delightful show... I don't know if we've watched all of it. There is more than I think of it. I mean, it's pretty episodic. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Karogunso in that, like... Yeah? It went for a really long time, but, like, for the most part, it's kind of episodic, and you don't really have to watch, like, all of it. Yeah, but I love, love Squid Girl. Squid Girl, like, it's all on High Dive, so you can still watch Squid Girl right now. I think only the first series is on Crunchyroll. Okay. But yeah, no, Squid Girl, or as the bootleggers would call it, Ikamusume, because that's the Japanese name, and it literally just translates to Squid Girl, mm -hmm. is got a lot of ridiculous puns in it. And so when you watch the translation, they try to preserve that as far as like how they subtitle her dialogue. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely a, a very easy to watch, silly yeah. cartoon. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. 2010, I had forgotten, was also the year that Ariadne the Borrower came out. Yes, I did like that movie. And that's actually going to be in theaters again, I think, soon, through Fathom, their Ghibli Fest. Yeah, they have a Ghibli Fest every year for so far, and yeah. successful enough. And yeah, I did like Ariadne. I think Ariadne's the next one on the list. I liked it. I, I don't think it's like one of the best Ghibli movies, but I enjoyed it. It's very much the Ghibli movie. I mean, I like it quite a bit, but you can watch and see that this is Ghibli trying their damnedest to find, like... Need a new Miyazaki. Mm. We, we need someone because Miyazaki is going to die from lung cancer in, like, a week. <laughs> like, we need someone that can keep this thing going. So... Yeah, I did like Ariete quite a bit. Just so we don't expose ourselves too much as a bunch of filthy pirates, the official title in the U.S. for the film is The Secret World of Ariete, but Ariete the Borrowers is like the, the oh, book. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the book title, because it's uh, adapted. I, I forget who wrote the damn book. It's the, like, she's famous. Um, I will look it up. I should know it immediately off the top of my head, but I don't. It's by Mary Norton. Yes. So the name of the book is just The Borrowers, yeah. right? And yes, I should know that because it's a famous ass book. No, Cobra is a famous ass book. Okay. <laughs> yes. <So>. Famous, famous <laughs> booty, famous badonkadonk tome. As far as famous tomes are concerned, there was a great series from 2010 all about the quest for creating a famous tome. Talking about Bakuman the anime adaptation Ugh. of everyone's favorite Shonen Jump title about making a manga that ended up becoming a goddamn nightmare of a cartoon as time I went hated on. Bakuman. Because it's one of those things where it's by, the artwork is by the guy who did Death And Note. Hikaru no Go. And, and I love his artwork. But the, the writer, um, I guess it probably is the same guy who wrote Death Note, now I think about it. It's like the exact same people who made Death Note. And so, as we all know about Death Note, as Death Note progressed, it was not what people wanted. So with Bakuman, as Bakuman progressed, in some ways, it was perhaps not what people wanted. But it's one of those things where it's like a series about making, like a manga about making manga. And so it was like became an anime about making this stuff. In some ways, like it had a lot of like really funny, like 
sort of things. Of course, it was highly realistic because these kids were in high school and were also going to be like these top manga authors. And so I feel like much like Gundam, this was like, hey, kids, please go and pursue the profession of becoming a manga creator because we need more fuel for the jump fire. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, I think what most people remember Bakuman for now that it's ended is like <laughs> the treatment of some of these characters and like the progression of like, you know, hey, I'm going to make this great comic book so I can get laid like i don't know like how the yeah i mean logic of that worked i like a lot of shonen stuff and i'm used to kind of like lame female characters or like shitty treatment of female characters but man bakuman just seemed even worse in terms of like how misogynist it was (laughs) oh Hmm. they made the whole thing into anime the whole manga came out in the united states from viz because i check it's on tubi tv and Hulu. And that's basically it. But yeah, Bakuman was one of those things where it's like everyone was talking about that in 2010. And then like, you know, the more you think about it, think back, it's like, man, is Bakuman actually awesome or is it like a nightmare? But it was one of those things. It's like, yeah, everyone was watching Bakuman at the time. And you don't hear a whole lot about it now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. One other thing that I did finish there, the show that we, we did watch, which has got a fantastic premise, but fails to deliver a lot, was a show called Yamada's First Time, mm. which is a show which the premise was this girl really, really wants to be a slut. And I'm not, that's, that's literally... It's a very difficult thing. Yeah, literally the premise <laughs> is accomplish she, wants, this. she wants to have sex with like a hundred different guys. It's a very shonen like right. aspiration. Like, hey, I'm going to right. defeat a thousand foes or whatever. Well, yes. I'm going to fuck a hundred guys. I want to fuck a hundred different guys. And my current count my, is zero. My current count is zero. I'm a virgin. I don't know what to do. <laughs> to, to me, this premise sounds fantastic. And it's pretty funny. It, it is, is pretty a fun, pretty yeah. funny show. And it's not like she goes around fucking. Well, a bunch no, she's of mostly guys really bad around. at it because she's a virgin right. and doesn't inept, know what yeah. she's, she's doing. She's just really inept. <laughs> yeah, very, very inept at this. It was a cute show that came out and it was released here as I believe it was released as Yamada's first time. Yeah, the original title is Bigada HK. Yes, and yeah, yes. I think that might be how you like because Funimation licensed that and uh, it's still streaming on their site. But yeah, I think if you search for Yamada's first time, I don't know if it comes up or not. I know Begata HK, it does. So I'm assuming it will. But just so people know, like it has two names. Yeah. But yes, if you want to see a show about uh, a girl who's sets out to have sex and then, you know, sees a guy naked and freaks out and then yep. like grabs him by the dick and drags him across <laughs> the room. <laughs> by the dick it's the kind of comedy that we're dealing with here and it's a i would say it's a thing where it was like they don't condemn somebody for this necessarily no so i mean i think that that might be part of why i think it's a thing where it's it's potentially kind of charming but i feel like it just sort of slightly misses the mark Mm. a little bit i I think it could have been a little better right i feel like I mean, I'm not a huge fan of this show, but I feel like 2010 is the year that K-On! No, was that? that was 2009. Oh, was that just season two? Okay. Yeah, I, I, previous I, decade. Oh, I have it as 2010. Okay, I was no, going to bring that up. No, I think it's up. because it's confusing because the, the second season is denoted by two exclamation points instead of one, which I forgot. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah, that's Cute my show. bad. K-On! It was so, sort of like a borderline thing. Really, it started last decade, but there were still new entries yeah. made. Uh, so, you know, arguable if you want to count the movie or whatever, whenever. But yeah, I mean, that was a big show. I feel like that was the first big, like, Kiwani thing. Harahi Suzumiya. No, yeah, I mean, I guess Harahi. Harahi Suzumiya, yeah. Yeah, that, that and, yeah, Harahi. Apparently my brain is not functioning today. <laughs> if you want to take another, because perhaps you could argue that Kion doesn't count. 
I kind of thought that Gerald would talk about his favorite movie, Welcome to the Space Show. Welcome to the Space Show, oh, your favorite that thing. That came out then? Shit. Yes. I forgot. I didn't even have that on my list. God, that <laughs> fucking movie. Oh, I remember we were so like, it was Otacon that year yeah. and it was coming out and we were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to see this. This is going to be great. We were all really into it. And then we were watching the movie and the first like 10 or 15 or maybe 20 minutes of it are really good. Right. And then it keeps going. Oh, God. And it keeps it's going. It's so interminable. It's a movie for small children that's two hours and 15 minutes long. Oh, and, and it's, it's you know, so nowadays long. you think like, oh, no big deal. All these big summer movies are like two and a half, two hours, 15, three hours movie. No, this movie, it feels much, much longer than two hours and 15 minutes. It meanders Because it feels so like much. it's a whole show. Oh, my God. Right. And the whole yeah. middle section. We, we reviewed this thing when it came out because we all went to the premiere um, so welcome to the space show. You Ooh. can listen to that episode. It was back in 2010, right after Oticon show 87. Such a letdown. And yeah, th- th- there it are took. parts that are legitimately like, wow, this is cool, but it, it's just a little bits yeah, and pieces it there. It could have been really then, good. Like there's a lot there. That's awesome. I feel like ever since then. So ever since 2010, anytime I see a one pictures, I'm very distrustworthy mm. that that's going to be a good cartoon because of Welcome to the Space Show. And to be honest, as I look through most of the things A1 Pictures has made, that is a justified <laughs> skepticism on my part to say A1 Pictures. That movie was clearly like, I remember the conversations that they had and they said like they were sort of making this with a Western audience in mind. That movie took years and years to get a physical release here because like because nobody no wanted one, the damn Nobody thing. had anything good to say about it. For good reason. Like, it was so meandering. There were characters in that movie that the movie forgot about. <laughs> like, people would just, th- th- there's just be like, this character's no longer there. And, oh, it was so disappointing. Wow. Who would have thought that two and a half hours for a kid's animated movie was a good idea? Stranger things have happened. But on the subject of A1 Pictures, I'll pick another one that I think it's not quite as frustrating as that but it may be a little closer along the lines of like a Yamada's first time but it's a show with a pretty interesting premise it's called Night Raid 1931 this is sort of a show which I don't know if any of you have seen no it, I kept meaning to watch it but I've never gotten around to it the premise like the closest thing I would like it to is Joker mm-hmm. game it's set before the time of Joker game it's more like after World War One, hmm. and it's entirely set in China but similarly it's like there's a spy organization and there's stuff going on and some things that have to be thwarted and what have you and, you know, I think that was also A1 Pictures title. I, I'm not 100%. I'm going to check. Yes, it was. 13 episodes, fairly solid production. And again, though, some of the stuff, like, again, if you know the history, it's like, okay, maybe they're having a little of a optimistic way of approaching this, considering they're the Japanese in China during the aftermath of the occupation of China by Japan maybe Japan's a little biased in some of these things is all I'm saying. But yeah, it's still like a a pretty entertaining show. I just like stuff that's like sort of pulpy espionage-ish kind of cloak and dagger sort of things. Like I said, Joker Game is what I compare it to. But a lot of times people would say like, oh, it's kind of like episodes are kind of like standalone complex in a way where it's like, you know, you got a bunch of people who are sort of able to do stuff and what have you. But I think it's a good period piece. It's got some interesting choices with it i just think that it's not quite like one of the all-time mm. greats but it is like a thing that i still have memories of and i still think like you could check it out and since i film works that's probably still in print i'm going to bring up a couple of things just things that i remember 
coming out that I didn't watch all of. Like for spring that year, one of the biggest shows that was talked about that I, I hated this show was uh, Arakawa Under the Bridge. People love, 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 love that show. They still love it today. But I remember that coming out and I remember watching some of it and I was like, I don't like this style. That was Akiyuki Shinbo's thing. I don't know what he's doing today. Like A million things for Shaft, probably. Yeah, but I remember that was a, just a huge, huge show when it came yeah. out. Like, everybody I knew was talking about it. Everybody I knew was watching Aki it. Aki Shimbo is currently doing uh, March Comes In Like a Lion. Okay. Yes, yeah, still working. That's a very different tone. Like, Arakawa Under the Bridge was very much, like, super fast. Like, throw a thousand text bubbles on the screen all at once. Yeah, um, it's Aki Shimbo for you. Yeah, I mean... uh I mean, I think he did the anime adaptation of Nisekoi, but that's way later and it still counts as part of the decade in review, I suppose. But yeah, Our Calendar of the Bridge, it's like the Shaft comedy by Aki Kishimbo. He's incredibly prolific and you either love him or don't give a fuck about him. And I'm more on the second side of it. Probably still on Crunchyroll. Yeah. Because I remember it was reasonably well received. Mm. Yeah, it's still on Crunchyroll right now. As I check it, there's two series worth. Okay. Two seasons. Yeah, I mean, it was super popular. People really liked it. I just couldn't stand that style. Mm. Um, oh, I wanted to bring this one up because I think, Clarissa, you saw all of the show and I started it. Occult Academy, right? Yes. Occult Academy is another A1 Pictures thing. And I thought it had a lot of promise Yeah, it to started it. really good and it just was such a letdown by the end. The best thing that show is good for are the amazing facial expressions that the main character <laughs> yeah throws out right like the artwork that they put into her face is fantastic that was one another one where i like, really made me skeptical of a1 pictures just because the first three or four episodes i was like okay wow this is a lot of fun because it's sort of like a and almost like a reverse x-files sort mm -hmm. of thing where it's like you've got paranormal things that are happening and people being sent back in time and then the main character is a skeptic and so she's like, no, there's no such thing as ghosts and all this kind of stuff like that. And it's a period piece. And so like one of the next episode previews were saying she's a tsundere and she cuts in. And he's like, that word hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, over time, it's only like standard 13 episodes. Yeah. I just yeah. think like it just didn't live up to what I was hoping it was going to be based on like those first couple no, episodes. No, it ended up focusing sure. too much on like the lame secondary male character. That's a shame because I like her so much. Yeah. She was so great. Yeah. There was also... I had forgotten about this show, um, but at the time when it came out, I remember it was being really heavily promoted was Hero Man. Yes. That was the one that yes, Stan Lee worked on, right? Stan Lee yeah. worked on Hero Man, and the character designs were by none other than Shigeru Koyama. So the main character of Hero Man was a kid named Joey Jones. And so to this day, Shigeru Koyama's name on Twitter is Joey Jones. <laughs> and the character design of Joey Jones, he reuses that character design. So if you just saw Promare, uh, Leo Fodia yes. <laughs> looks very much like Joey Jones in Hero Man. But Hero Man was like a boy and his robot, but it's set in America. Mm -hmm. A very comical depiction of America. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that every episode had like a Stan Lee looking character that appears. Yes, yeah, there's yeah. A, a Stan Lee cameo uh, in the background but for each episode. What I'd like to bring up, since you brought that up, Clarissa, is that it was around this time as well. And I think Daryl's the only person on planet Earth that has seen these shows. Marvel was doing a lot of co-productions again. And right, those the, Marvel anime right, shows. Right. And yeah. it's not that I'm the only one who saw them because all those shows made it on US TV and they all got dubbed and they all got sold at Walmart and stuff like that. They had a lot of visibility. Yeah. That's the problem. The problem is that they had the most visible IP in the world that they said, okay, Madhouse, we're going to make some shows. And Madhouse is like, 
okay, sure, this is just work for hire. We're just going to put a bunch of people who don't know what the fuck they're doing because yeah. they're just the experience. We're going to put them on this. It's like, you idiots. This is what everyone is going to see yeah. as like representative of anime. And you guys are just phoning it in. Super Unless mediocre. It's like there's one, yeah. one random episode or two where it's like, we'll have Yoshiaki Kawajiri do that one. It's like leaps and bounds better yeah. than everything else yeah. in the rest of the series. Because it was this Iron Man came out that same year. Mm-hmm. I think almost all of them came out like maybe it was Pretty two close together, in 2010 and two in 2011. They were, very close they were together. like kind of one after the other. Yeah. Because Hero Man was, I think, their attempt to make like another show that was going to be kind of big in America, but didn't really hit off in America. And I don't think it even got a physical release until semi recently, like mm. past couple of years for Hero Man. That one was not for lack of talent. I mean, you know, no, you have, no. again, we have... Koyama on the character designs, Bones is the animation. It looked yeah. good. Mm-hmm. The writing I thought was fairly, it's a kid's show for sure, but I thought it was, it was fairly solid. And yeah, I didn't really think it had too much bad stuff going on about it, but it's more just. It wound up being kind of forgettable, I think. Yeah, yeah. it just, just kind of came and went. Yeah. Another one that came out in 2010, which I think might be sort of like the swan song of this studio. It was called House of Five Leaves. Yeah. And that was by Manglobe, which is a studio where a lot of the stuff that they made was like, we want to make stuff that is going to be popular, not just in Japan, but kind of everywhere else. Yeah, an adaptation of a Ononatsume manga. I guess they did stick around for several more years, because now I think about it, they did do Gangsta and Samurai Flamenco and stuff like that. We'll talk about those later. But yeah, it is by Natsume Ono, and Natsume Ono was made... um, uh, Ristorante Paradiso mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so very popular author. So House of Five Leaves is like this sort of period piece set in ancient Japan. Yeah, she has a really distinctive art style. And I think House of Five Leaves looks a lot closer to her manga art than Ristorante Paradiso. Yeah, for sure. And so if you like those like gigantic mouth kind of <laughs> designs, even though it's about a swordsman who's a bodyguard, it's not really an action-y kind of no, thing. No, it's more yeah, like there's... an atmospheric kind of thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, like, visually it was really well done. Noitamina show. So, you know, they were going for, like, sort of a more sophisticated audience. But the ratings, like, nobody in Japan watched it. Nobody in America particularly cared for it. It's like a thing that Funimation license and that was another one where they put that up on youtube and all that kind of stuff like that and i don't think it really got like much of an audience so that was pretty unfortunate i don't think you can even get it anywhere at this point yeah i don't think it's still up anywhere but i do think the show is pretty good viz did release the manga here but again it was one of those things it's like released under their sigiki label and that was like all the cool stuff that nobody buys yeah like you can still search and find it on crunchyroll but there's no actual episodes Mm, yeah Oh, Anymore, so they yeah. have so, license, right. Yep. Yeah, because again, no one watched the show. It was like, a, again, a, a big bomb. And, and Mangalob, like, they kind of had, like, for a long time, if you look through, like, the list of stuff that Mangalob did, a lot of it you'll see is, like, good show that nobody watched or, like, good show that wasn't, like, commercially successful mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, good show that obviously was way more expensive to animate than people actually watched. Yeah, that is their whole thing. They closed out the previous decade with Michiko and Hachin and stuff that nobody watched. And so they opened the decade with House of Five Leaves, which nobody watched. And then, you know, years later, people are like, oh, Natsume Ono is cool. Oh, uh, Sayamoto is cool. It's like, well, we're not here anymore. Right. Yeah. This is a movie. I guess it's a series of movies. And I'm bringing it up because I've seen the first one, which I really loved. And 
I haven't seen the rest of them, but I did watch it, and that is Marduk Scramble. Oh, Marduk Scramble, some good shit. Which confused me because there is an episode of, I want to say there was an episode of like Macross, maybe even Macross 2, that was called Marduk Scramble. And so I heard Marduk Scramble, and I thought, oh, is this Macross? No, it is not in any way Macross. It's very like sci-fi, body horror, Cronenbergish, cyberpunkish sort of stuff. It also had the Sharknado before Sharknado came <laughs> yes. out. Let's, yes, let's, let's and, remember uh, that. Three As movies, one of the finest I've, births and deaths uh, executions by way of shooting somebody in the dick repeatedly <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> but I think uh, really my jam. Now that it is out of print, and I made sure to buy the Blu-ray before it completely fell impossible to find. I think now we should review this because that's what we do: is review things that nobody can find. But <laughs> right, we pull Gerald's. Yeah, we pull a Gerald, as we call it. <laughs> and, but no, I what I saw of Marduk's Ramble, which was the first part of it, was great. I really want to watch the rest of it. I would say the first episode is the best episode, but the third episode is basically like a big fight, and the and, second episode does have the Sharknado. So there, there's things that are in favor of all... It's only three episodes long, mm-hmm. or three movies long, however you want to count it. But I, I think each air quote movie was only one hour or something like that. I don't remember. Yes, they're pretty short. Mm-hmm. And if it sounds like your jam... I would pick it up right away because, like I said, it is out of print officially, so any stock that is there is the last that you will see. You can still buy some used, but obviously you're, there's some things where it's like there's one seller who wants like $120 for this, and it's like, okay, fuck you. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's out there. You may have to steal it. You can still find it. It didn't go out of print too long ago, but as it, as it usually is, is when I hear that things go out of print, I want to get a physical copy. Because remember, streaming stuff is only going to be available as long as those contracts stay active. Right. I wanted to ask you about this, Clarissa. I don't know if you saw this or not, but did you see the disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya? I didn't see that one, no. I mean, I saw all of the initial TV series, but I never actually got around to watching Disappearance. Because I think I was so burned by... (laughs) Yeah, everyone was so burned by The Endless Eight. Endless Eight, It's like, no, fuck you. (laughs) Right. Like, this was the last time that that franchise would be allowed to abuse its audience. Yeah. Yeah, but this way, the way they abused their audience was, how about instead of making a TV show... We just make a movie that is the combined running time length as if we had made a TV show. It is one minute less than the longest running animated movie ever, which I believe is like Be Forever Yamato. No, no, no. It's Final Yamato. Be Forever Yamato is the third movie. Whatever. But there there were five fucking movies, Daryl. I don't remember all of them. But yes, this this is one minute less than the length of that. And by that time, people had so checked out of Haruhi. Yeah, I mean, Endless 8 was just, ugh, miserable. Like, they could have combined all of that into, like, two episodes, but they And I was so angry, because not only did I like Haruhi Suzumiya, but, like, I also usually really like those Groundhog Day-type plots. Like, those are often, like, so good, and it was just, like, such a bad implementation of it. Haruhi Suzumiya is fascinating to me, because that first season was, like, almost this cultural touchstone for yeah. anime fans at so the time. So you can go back to our review index where we reviewed the Melancholia Haruhi Suzumiya. And at the time when we did the review, it was in the midst of the mania in 2006. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And Super at the time, show. I said I was going to hold, like you were the two that had seen it, and I was going to say, I'm going to hold off and see what the response is after some certain period of time, just because I was behind on stuff. Right. And in that time, Endless 8 came out and killed all interest in Haruhi Suzumiya dead 
And then yeah. four years later, Disappearance comes out and it's like, no, no, this time we're, we're good, guys. We're just going to adapt this entire novel. We're not even going to cut it down. Yeah, no, nothing. Every, no, no, abridgment, no, no abridgment. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> like, we're just going to do this entire freaking thing. And yeah, people, I don't know if people hated that movie, but I know by that time people just didn't By that shit. time, I think people had just moved on. Mm -hmm. Like, the time to release this movie was like, instead of saying we've got to put out something to keep people interested as we're making this movie. Aha, uh -huh, Endless 8. If they had just not done anything, perhaps it would have been better received. But yeah, it just kind of came out. A couple of people saw it and they were like, oh yeah, it's good. But it just wasn't nearly like the penetration, critical mass. There has been no Haruhi animation since. Like Haruhi no. is done for as an animation property. They killed it dead very quickly. Yutaki Yamamoto then proceeded to kill his career dead. Not quite as very quickly, <laughs> right. but, you know, it eventually happened. Yes. Do you actually have uh, others on your list for 2010, Clarissa? Um, I have a couple. So um, I got a we, couple, too. We talked about a couple sports shows. Uh, Giant Killing also came out that year. Giant uh, which Killing. Which is a much more realistic soccer anime. Unfortunately, that was one where it only got, I think, one season. So, I mean, it was good, but then the manga continued on and they never really adapted any more of it. It's interesting with those shows because it seems like there's regularly like the soccer show that is very realistic. Yeah, yeah. That usually only lasts a season or two. And then there's stuff like Inazuma 11. Which goes for really long and is like super popular. <laughs> really long time. And it's got right. these ridiculous, like, let's jump into the sky, create a triangle formation and like throw Africa at the goalpost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess maybe those more serious ones work better as manga. Giant Killing is also interesting because the main character isn't an athlete, he's a manager. Right. Mm. I think the closest thing I can compare, like, the audience for Giant Killing to would be, like, the audience for something like Moneyball. Yeah. Mm. Not with, like, the obnoxious Aaron Sorkin dialogue or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, the focus is more on the strategy of the game right. rather than, like, playing the game itself. Mm -hmm. Because Giant Killing, the reason it's called Giant Killing is because this guy who's a manager, he's got, like, experience at, like, a pretty high level, and he's going to assemble a team of people who are kind of cast-offs and rejects and whatever, and they are going to beat the established teams, right. uh, hence the term giant killing. And so the way he goes about accomplishing this is by like, hey, he knows these strategies or this usage of people with this sort of aptitude and this. And so it's interesting from like that aspect of it. But yeah, I mean, if you aren't, especially in 2010, like the anime scene was not really there for this kind of a show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like sports anime was already a hard sell. And now you've got like sports anime that is about a game that is not yet super like soccer, as we call it in the United States, is much more popular now than right. even in 2010. And so back then, like there was this perception of like, oh, no one here cares about soccer and no one here cares about adult guy, you know, <laughs> being a coach and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. but it was a very solid show. Yeah. I mean, I guess it must not have been enormous, like the anime, at least in Japan. Cause like I said, they only did that like one season, um, which is unfortunate. I liked it. It's one of those like super long, like seinen things. Yeah. Like, then you get like this TV show that's one season and it's studio Dean or whatever it is who made it. And <laughs> it's obviously not like, this big giant blockbuster. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I enjoyed what I saw. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if I saw the whole thing or not, because again, I think it was a fan sub. I honestly don't remember if it was officially licensed or fan sub. It's on Crunchyroll. Yeah. It was simulcast by Crunchyroll. Yeah. Ah, as it was coming out. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that, that, was, that must have been how people saw it, because I think the translation stuff they would have to go through might have been a little trickier than most fan subbers would have put up with. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, an early attempt at a simulcast and it didn't really go over it too, too well. So I got a couple more on my list before we sure. close out 2010. Yeah, I've got a few I want to mention kind of in a row. You've been doing that. I'll do maybe one or two like that. Yeah. But uh, before I do that, I do want to point out, and again, this is a borderline one, but since there was a break in between, I do feel the need to mention that we did get the second series of Sengoku Basara yes. in yes. 2010. That was on my list, but I wasn't sure whether to mention it. The yeah. highly factual historical account <laughs> of the Sengoku Jidai Warring States era of Japan before Japan was unified. If you know about these characters, then you actually know quite a bit about Japanese history. If you can say these are the <laughs> characters and how they relate to one another and these are their emblems and flags and stuff like that. But mostly everyone just remembers Yukimura getting punched in the face by his master right. and Date Masamune with his one eye and his yeah, let's party command and, yeah. over the English language language yes. and his horse with yep. his motorcycle handles on it which you know is yep. one step above having a stripper with motorcycle handles on her buichi terasawa style yep. so yeah sango kabasura started off as like these capcom video games that were yep. sort of their answer to dynasty warriors yep exactly what it was yeah it did come out here under the title like devil kings devil kings yep. like they heavily edited it yeah. and changed it a bunch and then the anime came out and certainly that was a thing people went crazy over everywhere, even though they didn't know anything about the Japanese right. Warring States period, just because the production values were really high. And you got TM Revolution doing the songs and the character designs are really cool and yeah. got a bunch of heavy duty voice actors and also like very tonally aligned with Ring Kakiro as yes. far as like mm -hmm. nuclear explosions when you swing a sword right. and stuff like that. But I guess the difference is Ring Kakiro has like these very old fashioned 1970s faithful Masami Kuramata. Mm -hmm character designs where Sango Kubasa had very modern contemporary for the time character designs. And so I think people just were able to get behind Sango Kubasa a, a lot more yeah. by comparison. It's a lot of fun and yeah, it's still readily available. You can still get Sango Kubasa without any difficulty. Mm -hmm. It still holds up. I, I like you wouldn't think like, Oh, this is an old cartoon that I'm watching. No, just cause yeah. you know, production IG, they really knocked it out of the park on that one. But it, it is interesting though, that, Obviously, eventually the Warring States period must end, yet Sengoku Basara had to like find ways to continue either through reboots or transport them to alternate settings and, and that sorts of things like that. We will talk about those maybe in future installments of the Decade yes. Interview. This show is a one that was shockingly huge with men and women. I don't know why. This was based on a manga. This is High School of the Dead. And I... Oh, yeah. Was High School of the Dead 2010? Yes, it is 2010. I am okay, perfectly I it was good. Later. I like fan service stuff. I hated this show. <laughs> it's too much. My issue with it is that I want my titties in one plate and my gore and violence on another. I don't want titties mixed with gore and violence. I don't mind titties and gore and violence, but I just think I that think the just execution... The fact that it's like a wo the, woman the being eaten alive and you see up her dress. Yeah, no, yeah. That the, was, well, I was about to mention that, too. It's like the panty shot while she's being devoured yeah, by zombies. But, like, yeah. it's a little... Like, I also couldn't handle, like... I'm not a fan of, like, the type of character design with, like, the gigantic missile tits. So I am and a again, fan of that. I always remember there was the one, like, where the, there was, like, the Matrix shot. Yes. And, like, the girl's, like, tits flew in opposite directions so that the bullet yes. could fly between them. And I was just yes. like, no. This is that was real actually dumb. making it sound good now, Corson. It's like, I'm like, oh, wow, fuck yeah, high school is dead. But then I'm... Re I 
That was a show that I did not care for it at all. I thought that the execution of like the whole zombie thing in it was really subpar. That same manga artist did a show some years later called Triage X that was also like the only thing to watch in those are some of the fan service shots in there. Mm. But no, that was not a good the show. The only other thing about High School of the Dead, like I didn't totally hate it. There was one or two things I liked, but I overall don't like the show. Don't recommend the show. But the other thing I did like about the show was that they had Kota Hirano yes. as <laughs> the fat guy in glasses, but he's like obsessed with like guns and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. he's actually supposed to be a manga author. Yeah. Helsing manga author. Right. That he just put in there potentially without asking, hey, do you want to be a character in my manga? I'm just going to put you in because you're a fucking psychopath and I'm going to put yeah. you in my cartoon for fan service shows from 2010 Hyokan Roran Samurai Girls much better show I was gonna name that because that is a show that is undeniably a titty fan service show but it yes. has a really really distinctive art style oh my god the art style is gorgeous it's like it's, uh, like it's for like that uh, first season it's like a really great art style meant to look yeah. like kind of like brush the style like the calligraphy the ink brush kind of calligraphy sort of style as if it was like a painting and so for the tv broadcast they would just extend the ink out to cover up the cooch and whatever <laughs> buy the blu-ray and it's just like oh here's an extra bonus video installment that's just naked tits bouncing (laughs) you say that like there's something wrong with that daryl if you know your japanese history from sangoku basara you can carry it over into hyakuro and samurai girls and then you know see like oh this version of yukimura is now a pedo option little girl as opposed to (laughs) a dumb guy getting punched in the face while screaming oyakata sama i actually thought that that first series of Samurai Girls for what it was, was pretty enjoyable. I think I even own it, but like the second... I'm actually watching it, so yeah. The second series, I thought, wasn't as good. Like, I think they just said we can coast along on just tits and not have as cool an art style with like the heavy lion art Mm. and the Mm. like i I thought the aesthetic of it was what carried it through and it also had surprisingly good action yeah as well in there and then the second season was like we just need tits and i was like no you need to be cool about it also yeah no i thought that show was underrated i agree it's samurai girls that's your fan service show of 2010 hmm and then I believe 2010 was when um, Oreimo ran. Yeah, I was hesitant to bring that huge. up. Which was huge. Yeah, huge show. You would think that it was a terrible show from the title of it. Now, we opened with Durara, and now we get to Oreimo, which is like, when we said Durara, you said, oh, it's such a short name, you'd never know it's a light novel. Oreimo was like the first one I remember where everyone was like, what is going on with this title? Right, the actual title is I Can't Believe My Little Sister Is This Cute. And in Japanese, it's like a really long thing and everyone's like, this is ridiculous. Little did we know (laughs) that that was going to be the trendsetter for titles for the decade. Unfortunately, that first season which was pretty good. I actually enjoyed it more than I expected to. Yeah. But yeah, eventually it does become impossible to avoid the fact that it is all about fucking your sister. Right. Because at first it's about, it can't possibly be about how he wants to fuck his sister. And then by the time he gets to the end, he's married to his sister, his biological sister. Well, the first season is all about him having no interest in that. And right, then, right. I guess there. Then we didn't. And then over even time, bother. it's like we didn't uh-huh. even bother with the second season because that we heard was that no, they they jump it in the they terrible do way. Do away so. with that one. Yeah. Even though clearly Kuroneko is the superior girlfriend option, she should have yes. been like the main character. <laughs> I think she did get a spinoff. 
Yeah, oh, he, you, did? you just oh. got to remember like the one crazy guy who found out about like the unfortunate development in the manga, <laughs> yes. and then he burned his current echo yeah. stuff. <laughs> said, <sighs> set, or maybe he set Kirino on fire and said like, "Watch Kuroneko. So, burn, like, Kirino, he was just like, burn. right. That was uh, one of the finest moments in anime. Hopefully, immortalized on YouTube. Ah. Uh. This is one of the most twisted, sicko shows that I've ever seen. It's one of the most twisted, sicko premises, but nothing on screen is disgusting. And it's a show called Hensemi. Oh, yes. Really, like, I don't even know if I can describe what the show is about. It's, like, about college students who are doing, like, research into people who are, who are into weird stuff. Like, people with weird fetishes. and People who are very have very weird fetishes. A lot of it is suggested more than what is displayed on screen. But yeah, that was an interesting show of the time. Uh, very, <laughs> very twisted in what some of the premises were. Did that ever come out here officially? Or? I don't think so. I think people I think saw that and probably were just like, nope. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nope, we don't need to do this. There's one I want to point out just for the novelty of it. It's, it's just a very strange thing that I've shown clips of at panels, and the only reason I show clips of it is just so people can look at it and say, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> it was 30 minutes long, and they never made any more. It's called Cat Shit One. Oh, yes. I remember and Cat, Cat Shit, Shit One. One yeah. is a 3D CG anime adaptation of this manga called Apocalypse Meow that was released in the U.S., and one time Fred Patton came to AWA, since he's a huge furry, I saw him in the dealer's room, and he was perusing through Apocalypse Meow. And so Cat Shit One is the harrowing story about basically what if we did Call of Duty Modern Warfare only with bunny rabbits killing camels, where camels stand in for Arabs. What a weird production. It's a weird Whoa. production. They did an English dub of it. You show any of it now, it's the most racist thing in the world. It was the most <laughs> racist thing in the world in 2010. But <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it's mostly made by not entirely by one guy, but it's mostly spearheaded by like one guy who believed like really hard. And the animals look kind of realistic. It's not like They're really realistic. Photorealistic yeah. bunny rabbits and camels and stuff like that decked out in your Iraq war gear, shooting each other dead, maybe sometimes getting blown up by a gunship and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, all your standard Call of Duty tropes of just applied to, to this. And this was supposed to get people super hyped for more. And they released it on Blu-ray and it was a super expensive Blu-ray <laughs> for just this. But they were trying to like be like, oh, this will be the pilot for a, a TV show. And that never came to be i wonder why god shocking that this didn't take off <laughs> well i mean you know the, the furries are more powerful now than ever before but they're not anthropomorphized really so i don't know how much it really caters to the furry audience it's more the bestiality gun nut audience i don't know <laughs> like i guess there's some furry crossover in that i don't really know the details but yeah i mean it's a weird cartoon it's not like super entertaining it's just something that's like it's short and you you're left wondering it's like that is a thing that somebody made all right mm. i tip my hat to anyone who owns a copy of catch it one which is to say nobody i know except maybe yeah. patrick macias weird 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 thing i remember that god i never actually saw it but i remember the trailers 
I had zero desire to see it. I saw like clips from it and I was like, this doesn't look like anything I want to spend my time watching. It's not super gory or anything. It's just a weird. No, I just have no interest in watching like photorealistic bunny rabbits shooting photorealistic camels. Well, they are walking on like humans and behaving like humans. Uh, so that's the other weird thing about it. It's not the full on like greatest right. uh, scene in cinema history, which is the auto guns in Doomsday. I can sort of appreciate the ridiculousness of like, these adorable bunny rabbits in like tactical gear. <laughs> yeah, with like their tactical lingo and yes. all that kind of stuff like that. I have a very unsettling news for any of us who predicted that this would be done in three episodes because yeah, we've be gone uh, over two hours now and we only got through 2010. And as the years go on, there's only going to be more, more well, anime each year. I would say that my list 2011 is much shorter. I don't know about you guys. Now, 2011 is shorter, but they're bigger shows. They're bigger shows, mm. and I don't know if they're shorter necessarily. Like, by my count, let's see, I had almost 20 shows for 2010. For 2011, I have... I have like 11, and even a couple of those are questionable. I have yeah. more for 2011 than I do for 2010. Really? Okay. Maybe we should limit ourselves, but then there's fewer things for us to go back and forth. No, 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 we're not limiting ourselves. <laughs> we will leave it at this for now. For the time being, this will be show number 179, and it may take us a little longer than anticipated <laughs> to get through the decade in review. But that being said, we will be able to release the episodes a little faster because we already know what we're talking about. To remind everyone, our website is www.animeworldorder.com. You can leave us an email at animeworldorder at gmail.com as well. Let us know if there were any titles from the year 2010 that started in 2010 that you think we should have mentioned, or if you agreed slash disagreed with any of the notable things that we brought up here. Perhaps you are an ardent fan of High School of the Dead who will not stand for this slanderous discussion <laughs> of them titties. On that note, my name is Daryl Surratt. I'm Gerald Rathkold. And I'm Clarissa. And we are signing off for now. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll hopefully be before CEO Taku uh, in Orlando, Florida, where Gerald and I will be doing panels there. Those panels will be posted onto YouTube. They did post our previous panel on Dead or Alive. They recorded it. They put it up there. So um, if there's that, we can put a link up in the show notes. Yeah. So if you've never been to one of our panels and want to know how we do them, then there is a Dead or Alive panel that we did at CEO. And so at CEO Taku, I'm going to be doing 30 Years Ago Anime 1989 as well as a panel with Gerald, which is the best fighting anime not on Toonami. Yep. And so those will be available for you to watch. You'll have to report back to me with the deets on Grand Blue Fantasy Versus stuff. That's right. I, I if we can even in wait in line. For, yes. Yeah. Yes. And then remember, you're, you're in line with Arc System Works experts right, who are right. there to annihilate you uh, <laughs> on first try because they know exactly how these games are played. Yeah. But yeah, there'll be some some cool new stuff that they'll be debuting there for the new Guilty Gear and uh, some other stuff like that. And so we'll be there for that. Yep. Thanks very much. And we'll see you guys soon.